0: So you're probably wondering about the new name, the new logo, and the new look altogether. Ever since I jumped on board with Mile High Sports going on about a year now, my goal was to always build this podcast into something bigger than it's ever been before. Luckily for me, I have a great co-host who's also my producer and JJ Jerez who's been doing this for years. So it was easier for me to jump on board and just let this thing grow and evolve into what it is today. So that brings me to the new name. I want to present to you our new podcast, Hockey Mountain High, Your Go-To Avalanche Podcast. And that's exactly what we want it to be. In this market, we're lacking that big podcast that brings you avalanche news. We're lacking that inside look that welcomes newer guests that can hopefully eventually get players on board and gives you a side of the avalanche that is not run by the actual team. We want to be your go-to avalanche podcast, and that's exactly why when creating this name, I added that part into the name. Hockey Mountain High isn't just here to be a weekly show. We want to be out We want to be out here recording shows for you a couple times a week. We want you to be able to be a part of this show. We want you to be able to send us in some questions. We want you to interact with us because ultimately, in the end, without our listeners, we have no podcast. So we want to be able to give you what you want. We want to take suggestions from our listeners, and we want Hockey Mountain High, once again, to be your go-to avalanche podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Arif. I mean, ever since I started this, I've had some really great partners that all turned into great friends, but nobody has matched the energy that I have and the determination to see higher. And you have that. And I'm excited to bring this new branded prod- podcast to everybody and really start to take some big steps forward for the Mile High Sports brand itself. And I'm happy to have you as my partner. So, that being said, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed the latest episode and welcome in to Hockey Mountain High. The blue line leaves it. Kale McCarr
0: winds, fires,
1: score. Now Rubidoux, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer! Just outstanding stuff. I
0: am Grub. And oh. Zadorov smash! Oh, 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 oh. oh my goodness! Yeah. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard has no idea
1: what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. All right, let's get it going. Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, the America's top-rated sports book app. Time to get into some avalanche hockey. I mean, it was a long week of training camp, very eventful stuff going on. But, Arif, we got to start with, I think, what was the biggest news of the week, and that's Kale McCarr. I mean, obviously, there was a little bit of worry with the unfit to play and all that stuff. That's actually a convo we forgot to have last week, if you remember we were supposed to. But that mainly has been the talk of the week. We had early indications from talking to Ryan Graves that we didn't need to look too much into the virus thing that it was more of an injury related things Nathan McKinnon kind of reiterated the same thing but let's get into an update of KO Makar he skated a little bit yesterday before practice but what do you think was going on let's speculate a little bit
0: so obviously yes he did skate before practice started and I showed up you know right as the practice was beginning so I personally did not get to see him on the ice from what I got from other reporters there it seemed more like a take it easy let's get some shots get some skating in so you know it's nothing but speculation but could it be a concussion there was a video that ryan clark uploaded last week ryan clark of the athletic uh noted friend and uh you know great reporter here in denver and it was a video that had a image or a clip of kale mccarr sort of getting hit a little awkwardly so me and my brain likes to you know, go out there and speculate and I sort of put two and two together and maybe there's some concussion issues going on there. Um, I could be completely wrong. Maybe it could be a, a shoulder. It could be something where it's minor, but at the same time being still 10 days away or so, or nine days now from the first hockey game, there's no point rushing it. But he has also missed about three or four sessions now. So it's getting to the point where it's a little bit more serious than a precaution but at the same time how serious is it going to be will he play the preseason game will he play in the round robin or will he play in the playoffs or is he not going to get an opportunity to start for quite a while we just we we don't know and all we can do is speculate because unfit to play unfit to practice the new league protocol
1: yes yeah, staying on the speculation train um, you know, and while we're all kind of worried about what's going on, do you feel this as more of a new injury or do you feel it more as of reaggravation of whatever he was dealing with before the the pause play?
0: I honestly think it's a new injury, and I have no evidence to back that up simply other than the fact that We've been hearing this for weeks now. There's you know, former players and former athletes that jump on podcasts and radio shows and all they talk about is how hard it's gonna be for these current players to jump into competitive hockey like this. And they always mention that this is not a normal training camp. This is not a training camp where you start off by getting your feet wet and slowly building it into the first preseason game, into the second week of preseason, into opening night, and then an 82-game season to prep for the playoffs you have 10 or 15 sprints being these training camp sessions leading into one exhibition game leading straight into meaningful competitive playoff hockey to determine a Stanley Cup champion so all of these former players and all these former athletes talk about how you're going to be tweaking your groin you're going to be you're going to be aggravating your joints your ankles your knees whatever it may be and Calmacarez a young kid man. He came into this training camp, uh, balls to the wall, he went all in, and I could see a young kid like that possibly going a little too hard, too fast and sort of tweaking something. So again, there is no basis to that. There's no evidence to that, but it just I in my opinion, I feel like that's what it was.
1: I remember right before the NBA was about to get their start going and there was kind of some articles out there rehashing what happened before their last lockout which I, I think was in 2011-12, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Correct. And what after months of taking a break and not playing at 100% physicality and 100% intensity that comes with a game – they returned to play, and suddenly there was an explosion in ACL surgeries. They had a, a huge spike, and that's kind of what you see going on here, I think. I mean, you jump right into the intensity of this kind of practice and this kind of hockey that you're getting ready for. Um, but I think it's a it would be a little less concerning if it was an, a new injury, honestly. You would hate for him to be doing this all again from an injury that he's already had. So... I think if he's had these three or four months to heal and it's still an old one that's when you're worried and you make
0: a good point there i mean
1: for kale being a young kid
0: on one end yes he's 21 years old i believe now and this is the most hockey he's played in a, in a 12-month period you know even with the pandemic knocking out four months he was simply nothing more than a college player uh not to you know downplay what it takes to become an ncaa player but the amount of games you play is just extrapolated and and you play a lot more especially when you skip the ahl and go straight to the nhl so you don't want it to be an injury that's being reactivated um and i don't think it is that you know it's i i mean i hope it's not that but at the same time like you said it's not just the fact that like the nba they're coming out of a lockout And playing intense hockey and practicing and and really upping the intensity this is a global pandemic in a global pandemic we've been locked in our houses for the last four months a lot of these players had home gyms but I know a lot of players that have openly said we did not really have anything to do there were players sitting at home doing the same things you and I were doing which is watching Netflix eating a bunch of Doritos and ice cream like no one had the opportunity to do much else other than that so you hope that it's not the uh it's not a re-aggravated injury and it's simply the fact that as a 21 year old who's always been active he had to sit at home for so many months because of a pandemic and coming out of that and playing this kind of an intense hockey is really hard and you know you just gotta hope that that's what it is at this point
1: yeah and the biggest reason you really want to hope that is because you don't want to think that this kid came into the pros too early that he couldn't handle the whole NHL season. And now for the rest of his career, he's going to be battling injuries because that's obviously worst case scenario, but it's not that far from being, you know, a possibility. So you got to really hope fingers crossed that this is just a minor thing and, and Kael McCarr is going to be ready to go. And at full force come what next week already.
0: Yeah. We're five days away from a training or from a exhibition game in the hub city. Uh, We're recording on Friday night. You guys will probably listen to this Saturday morning. The Avalanche are skating Saturday. Uh, I will be there. I will be tweeting all about it. Sunday, they take a flight to Edmonton, and just a few days later, they play an exhibition game. Next week, Sunday, seven days after their flight to Edmonton, they play the St. Louis Blues on the second day of the restart, August 2nd.
1: So looking at that worst case scenario, what if KO McCarr is unable to play? I mean, we've heard a lot of names shining at camp. Most notably, I would say is Connor Timmons. Um, what, what's making him stand out so much right now in, the, in this phase three?
0: He's coming to play with a purpose. Um, and I think I did this wrongfully so, and maybe a lot of us did this wrongfully so in the beginning, but we always sort of batched Connor, uh, Connor, uh, not McDavid, Connor Timmins. He's not as good as McDavid, but we always, we stuck Connor Timmins into the same group as Bowen Byram and Shane Bowers when this roster was announced. And that was simply the wrong thing to do in for many reasons. And for the main reason being that Bowen Byram and Shane Bowers were never gonna get a shot to play. This was simply bringing two of your young assets, both being former first round draft picks, uh, both being part of the Duchesne trade, um, bringing them to this training camp, maybe even to the Hub City, depending on who the Avalanche take with them, to gain the experience of being around, to be nothing more than a black ace, uh, which is you know a great experience for a young player. Connor Timmons was never that. Connor Timmons is a player that his draft year... It took a lot for Joe Sackick and Jared Benner and the Avalanche to send him down to the AHL, that first training camp. He missed a lot of time because of concussions. He kind of had that same bad luck that someone like Joey Hishon had when he was drafted many moons ago. Um, But he's come back. He's come back strong. He's had a taste of the NHL. He's played well. He made the opening night roster. And he's more than just a black ace he's here with a purpose and he's here to play and to fight for that opportunity and i think we said this last week we know how the avalanche feel about nikita zadorov we know about the fact that ryan graves being paired with kale mccars sort of took over that role that zadorov was gonna play when zadorov and barry used to be in the top four we know that zadorov's days may be numbered and when that day comes we know that Connor timmins wants that top six spot and he's here to sort of push his way into it now.
1: There are a handful of guys that have a lot more experience than him. I mean, you look at Mark Barberio, you look at Anton Lindholm. Is Connor Timmins do you think he leapfrogs guys like that and he is the next guy up? You know, worst case scenario, Kale McCarr needs a day off or just simply is unfit to play. So
0: with Kale McCarr in the lineup, you have your top six of McCarr and Graves, Johnson and Girard. Zadorov and Cole in my opinion from what I've seen these last uh, few weeks and especially this past week with special teams I would say Connor Timmins is number eight and probably a 7.5 because he's itching ever so close to number seven and is the only name you never mentioned it's not Lindholm it's obviously not Byram and it's not Barbario it's Kevin Connaughton the veteran defenseman the Avs got from Arizona in the Soderberg trade. And the reason why I say that is because Connaughton has been getting time on the second power play unit, uh, when, or second, sorry, penalty kill unit, not to confuse uh, our listeners, the second PK unit. Connaughton has been playing a lot of minutes there. Now, I could be totally wrong because there's something to take into account here. Without Makar, Gerard goes up to the top PP unit. On one side of the ice, the Avalanche have their top PP and top PK. On the other side, they have the second unit for each one. Now, without Makar, Gerard goes on the top power play unit. Your number two power play unit now has Eric Johnson. Johnson is usually killing penalties, but because he's on the power play side, they need somebody to fill in on the PK side, and that could simply be all that Kevin Conaten is doing. And then the third defense pairing of penalty kill is Barbario and Timmins. So... It could be one of two things. It could be that Kinnaten is earning his uh, spot as the number seven defenseman by getting those PK minutes, or it could simply be Bedner plugging in a veteran because Eric Johnson's on the PP and you can't have two Eric Johnsons on the ice at once, uh, as much as we'd all <laughs> love to see that in all its glory. Uh, so I think that he's, he's jumping in there. So, for example, Power Play 2 on... Uh, their last day of skating, which was Thursday, power play two was Kadri, Nechushkin, Donskoy, Nemesnikov, and Johnson. Those four forwards have been sort of always there. Nemesnikov and Comfort sometimes uh, alternate, but it's Nemestikov's spot at this point with Donskoy, Nechushkin, and Kadri, all four guys that were not here a year ago. The defenseman should be Gerard, but without him, it's Johnson. And the second unit penalty kill, and this is gonna bring us to another name to talk about. On defense, it's Graves and Kanahtan. Up front, it's Nieto. And Tyson Jost, what do you think about that?
1: I mean, it's it's just kind of a sign of the times. That's what happens in a training camp. You're going to have these players that are going to make it hard on coaches, and they're fighting for their lives to make themselves seen. I mean, you said it a little bit ago. They're limited to how many players they can bring. Well, all these guys want to go. I could tell you that much. And all these guys want to be a part of this, especially – The the potential this team has, you don't even if you're the last guy whose name is on the Stanley Cup, your name is on the Stanley Cup. Right. So people want to make this team and they want to make it happen. So it's not surprising that names like cannot and and Jost are out there. But right now it's going to be so important, you know, especially if teams are in form. Right? We kind of expect a slow start just because, like what we've seen from the start of regular seasons, teams kind of come out of the gate a little bit slow, a little bit because they're sharp, right? On both sides, both teams are sharp. Both teams have been preparing. Both teams are in full swing in terms of injuries. So, the special teams is what's really going to make or break, I think, these early games. And it's going to be a huge X factor. So, you got to have it as sharp as possible as you possibly can. So if you can avoid guys like Kanahtan and Jose, in my opinion, you got to do it. But if they're making it impossible for the coaches to push them aside, then you got to go with that too, because it's about, it's not just goalies that you ride when they're hot. It's everybody you got to ride when they're hot. And if those guys are, are, are making themselves seen, then why not, why not go with them?
0: And I mean, that's why the avalanche went out and made all the moves that they made, not at the deadline, but last year in the off season. All of those reload moves that teams make at the deadline where, you know, for example, St. Louis going out and acquiring a Marco Scandella and trading for all these depth defensemen the year they won the cup, Michael Delzato and so on and so forth. The Avalanche didn't need to do that at the deadline because they did a pretty good job of it in the summer. When it was apparent that Carl Soderberg had no spot on this team because of his high salary and, you know, uh, Bednar and the Avalanche wanting to turn a new leaf with a real number 2 center in Kadri and giving comfort that third spot they went out and traded him for a depth defenseman, which isn't much, but at the same time, it's something that you're eventually gonna need. Having Mark Barbario, who by the way, is the best trooper out there. Like he's the he's the ideal number seven, number eight defenseman because he never complains. He comes to practice every day. He barely gets to play, but he always puts in the work. Mm-hmm. So now you have these veterans like Barbario and Kinnotton who you can pu- push into the lineup if necessary. We've already talked about this on the forward side. Um, obviously Colin Wilson is not playing this tournament, but it's great to know that when you have an injury, you don't need to go down and find a you know what the Avalanche used to do with guys like Brad Malone and all these guys that just didn't really fit. But they were the next man up. No, you have guys like Tyson Jost. You have guys like, you know, eventually who would have at one point been Colin Wilson, uh, Barbario, Connaughton. and you're putting feasible guys into game play and action rather than going and pulling a uh, Anton Lindholm or whoever you may feel is not necessarily someone that should be playing, but is because next man up. And that's what it is. The Avalanche yeah. went out and built that depth, so. It always sucks that you can't have somebody like Makar in the lineup, and we don't know if he's going to play and when he's going to play for that matter. But it's next man up, and the next man up for an app, for the Avalanche right now is, is we have some veterans, and we have a young, hungry Connor Timmins. So the Avalanche do have nine very capable defensemen.
1: Yeah, aside from Connor Timmins, three of those four veterans, Lindholm, Barbario, Kanan, have a good amount of NHL games played. That really Is such a great luxury to have. Like you said, you're not reaching, digging at the bottom of the barrel for whoever can come up. These guys have proven that they can play. They have done it before. Maybe they're not exactly, you know, up to par with what this team calls for now, but they've got the experience so fingers crossed that mccarr is back in the lineup because especially on the power play as i mentioned it's going to be ever so important i think power play one just looks so much more threatening with him up top than sam gerrard i think kale mccarr just has a better shot he's quicker with releasing the puck and just just poses a bigger threat up there um on the blue line of the power play
0: for sure and at the same time sam gerrard if you remember before the pause, he was really coming into his own. He had a nine game stretch where he had 12 assists. I believe he had four in one game. And even without that, he still had eight in another eight games. He was really starting to get more comfortable with dishing the puck and putting the puck on net and making those uh, those spins, the the odds that he does uh, matter on the scoreboard and on the score sheet. So to have two guys like that is really, like It's it's invaluable. You can't really put a price on how much it helps to have a Makar and a Gerard on your power play. It's We're spoiled at this point uh, watching the Avalanche have two guys like that. So without Makar, it sort of brings it down a notch. But if they're both there, you have two very strong units.
1: Yeah, I just think kinda of like you said, when it's Sam Gerard, you're kind of banking on the fact that he's gonna be getting assists where I think Kale McCarr adds more of a goal scoring threat.
0: One hundred yeah, that's that's the best way to put it, yeah, for sure. And uh, that's the difference between the two players and that doesn't take away from Girard, it's just that that's what Makar has proven in his short time in the NHL. Mm-hmm.
1: So moving on, of course, another big name was not skating at practice yesterday. Thursday, as Arif mentioned, today is Friday night. This is how we spend our Friday nights now, Arif. Not a problem for me. But um, Nathan McKinnon was absent. Now, was this maintenance day? Never heard of him. No idea who that is. (laughs) Is this a maintenance day or is this something, again, for Avalanche to kind of raise their eyebrows and be a little worried and be back in the same boat that we were in just before the pause? So at the conclusion
0: of the skate on Thursday that McCarr was or that McKinnon was also not a part of, I asked Jared Bedner exactly that. I said, Is this a scheduled maintenance day or is this an unfit to play that you cannot comment on? And he smiled and he said, You know I can't comment on it. No comment. So I don't know at this point if it was a maintenance day, if Bedner's allowed to say that. I imagine he would be allowed. So maybe McKinnon skated a little too hard and tweaked something. Maybe McKinnon tested positive for that one thing that we hope he didn't <laughs> test positive for. Maybe McKinnon has a concussion and injury. God knows what. Or maybe McKinnon just slept in and mispracticed. Who knows?
1: Back to the stupidity of the unfit to play. I mean, we've all been around the game long enough that if Nathan McKinnon's back in 10 days, we can assume it was probably a concussion. If he's back in 15 days, we can assume it was the virus you mentioned. If he's back in five – and that's what's so dumb. I mean, we see it. We see it all around the league. We saw Sidney Crosby come back on the ice in six days. But obviously, you know, we can put two and two together that it wasn't COVID. So what's the point?
0: It really bothers me because – I understand the reasoning behind it and the reasoning is simple that when a player tests positive for COVID, you want that to be private and we cannot take away from the fact that this was negotiated by the PA and the NHL. The players do not want to be, you know, do not want to have to go public about having the coronavirus and then being asked about it. So the only way that you can hide the positive test is to hide every single reason why somebody's not playing. But at the same time, There should be some leeway in there. There should be the opportunity for a coach to say, yeah, it's Sidney Crosby and uh, we're going to give him a couple days off. Or it's Sidney Crosby and he's feeling 90% and there's no reason to push it until he's 100%. Instead of no comment, no comment, no comment, he could have a life-altering virus or he could have a tweak in his ankle. Who knows? And I feel like they had the right intention in mind, but the implementation, like many things with the NHL, just wasn't there. And this is gonna be a weird summer with that phrase of unfit to play, unfit to practice, unfit to skate, and every time the coach is asked about it, no comment.
1: They meant well, but it's a little bit annoying, I guess.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad we yeah, and I'm glad we brought that up. That's the conversation we were supposed to have last week and completely forgot about it uh, at that point, but it is going to be a weird one, and you know we're, we try to ask Bednar all these different kinds of ways to sort of get an idea, and he smiles and no comment every single time because that's what they have to do.
1: While we're on the topic of Jared Bednar, moving on a little bit to come at some of the things that happened in training camp update you since a lot of the fans have less access to the, what's been going on than ever before. Uh, The intensity of practices is up. I mean, we discussed it last week, how important it is to have these intensities be full throttle. And we saw Coach Jared Bednar earlier in the week kind of blow up at his team about the intensity that they were at and even, you know, make some jokes about how they were going to be golfing. Um, So, you know, back to the intensity and the importance of it. looks like Jared Bednar was definitely listening to us and really made made sure that the players (laughs) turned it up a notch.
0: Yeah, and that's what all the best coaches in the league are going to do nowadays. Another coach who's up for a uh, a Jack Adams trophy, and we mentioned this last week, is John Tortorella, and he had something similar yesterday with the Columbus Blue Jackets on on Thursday. He started practice. 15 seconds in, he blew the whistle. He went on a very, very not suitable for work Tortorella rant. uh, Blew up on his entire team. And started the drills over after just 15 seconds and these are these are the little intricacies where you're going to give your team a little bit of time to gel and get back in the flow but being in the second week of a two-week training camp before the most intense and historical hockey in a tournament that's going to be in a hub city kind of like an olympics with a virus there gets a point where it's like you know what you guys need to be up to par with where we need you to be and you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's a double-edged sword. How hard can you push them before you start tweaking injuries? And is that why McCarr and McKinnon are out? Who knows? But at this point, it's, it's, uh, it's, the intensity needs to be there because you need to do your best to sort of mimic actual gameplay. And that's what these scrim- scrimmages have been. They've been sort of a simulation of what it's going to feel like to play intense hockey this quickly after a, a four-month break from being able to almost do nothing physically.
1: I also think coming from Jared Bednar it's it's a lot stronger of a message. Usually he's the player friendly coach, he's the chill guy. You rarely see him lose his temper. You never see him get mad on the bench, no matter how screwed the avalanche get by a replay call or what have you. So I think that message where he raises his voice, that really, you know, resonates with the players and they receive the message he's delivering because again it's rare to see i mean you remember being what in first grade second grade third grade where the cool mild-mannered teacher you had suddenly snapped one day and then you knew oh wow this guy means business I better it was
0: it was usually at me yeah I definitely <laughs> yeah. remember that
1: exactly that's how I know it so well as well so uh, another thing is that it's it's sometimes good for a team to kind of bond over the the shared hatred of the coach even if it's just for a day you know if the players can go back in the locker room and be like wow coach was really a dick today Um, You know, that's something that that helps kind of the camaraderie of a locker room, in my opinion. So I love to see it from Jared Bednar. You love to see the fire. You don't necessarily like to see that the Avalanche are slipping up on the intensity side of things and might be golfing sooner than later. But you do like to see the fire from from the head man.
0: And Yeah, and I wouldn't look too much into it in terms of the avalanche not being up there with intensity. Uh, This is going to be very cliche and this is year one of my career of hopefully 20, 30, 40, God knows how many years I get to do this for. But um, I'm going to do the same thing that every reporter does every single year. When training camp starts i'm gonna to go to a couple sessions watch a couple guys skate up and down the ice and i'm gonna come out of it i'm gonna go on a radio show a podcast on twitter on facebook on instagram and i'm gonna say the boys look great they look like they're skating hard and they look like there's a lot of intensity and i'm gonna say that now because they do the, the avalanche look great they look like they're skating hard and they look like they're playing with a lot of intensity and even a little bit of a hiccup led to Bednar not being pleased, and that's great. That just means that this coach is here to hold his players accountable, to let them know just how important it is to be intense and to be practicing and to get all your ducks in a row because the Avalanche really, truly do have a shot at this thing. and. I don't think we're saying it enough. I don't think we're talking enough about how good this team is. Maybe the pause sort of put us all into like this weird blunder of a life where we just don't really understand what's going on anymore. And I mean, I completely get it. I don't know how it's the end of July and we're talking about hockey right now, but this is a damn good team and damn good team doesn't always win the Stanley Cup every year. There's a lot of damn good teams in the league that always come up short and the difference between coming up short and winning is going to be those kind of things that Bedner did the other day. Is going to be the John Tortorella's raging at his team to get that intensity up ASAP, and that's going to be the difference between a winner and a loser. And Jared Bednar wants to win. The Avalanche want to win. They look like they're 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 out there to prepare to win.
1: And we've heard all this time during the preparation in the phase one phase two how are these teams going to get excited with no fans how is momentum going to be generated how is energy going to be built well jared bednar might be taking it upon himself to really light the fire under these guys asses because somebody's got to do it right And, you know, if it's not going to be the players and the leadership, Jared Bednar is going to have to step in there and do it for him. But that segues me nicely into what I wanted to talk about next. And that's kind of all the Zoom interviews we've gotten. We've almost talked to every single player on the Avalanche through Zoom calls. Now, it's a little bit different through Zoom, of course. You can't engage with the player as well as you could normally. You can't read the body language as easier. but. You can still hear the, the self belief in each and every one of these players. They can't stop talking about how much they feel this is a great team that has an amazing opportunity in front of them. So, just to hear the players kind of have that and really believe it, you know, one thing's to say it, another thing is to make me feel like you actually mean it. And every single player in there really believes in this team's chances right now.
0: And it's just great to see them coming from all these different walks of life in terms of their career. It's great to see someone like Rantanen who joined this team just as they were at the bottom of the league and built themselves up. It's great to see someone like Landeskog. you got to remember how long ago Landeskog got drafted now. I know he's only 27 and turning 28 later this year, but Landeskog's first career game was Peter Forsberg's Jersey retirement night. Landis Cox's first career game was Semyon Verlamov's first career game with the Avalanche. It was a long freaking time ago. He's been through a lot. He's been through the Shane O'Briens and the Ryan O'Burns and the Greg Zanins and the Jan Haters and the Francois Beauchemans and the list goes on and, and the Joe Colburns and the Patrick Weirkoch. Holy crap, man. This team has been through a lot. And... Hearing the way that he's talking now compared to in years past, even in 2014 when the Avalanche were a top team, even last year when the Avalanche were cruising through the first round of the playoffs and taking San Jose to seven, it's a different feel. And seeing guys coming from other teams like Ian Cole, who's been there, he's been to two Stanley Cup finals and won them both times. Seeing a Nemesnikov come from a Tampa Bay team that made it to the finals. Donskoy, who's been on probably the best team to never win the cup in that San Jose Sharks 2015 to 2017 era all these guys are saying the exact same thing that we have a shot we really do have a shot seeing someone like Nazem Kadri who the last couple years has lost to Boston in 2013 lost to Boston and in those two of those three years that he lost to the Bruins the Bruins made it to the Stanley Cup final he knows what a winning team looks like and he feels like he's on one now it's a different feel and it's it's refreshing it's it's great to see it's from the goalies to the defense through the offense And through the coach, everybody really truly believes that they can win this year. And it's it doesn't sound like they're blowing smoke out of their ass. Like every player says coming into every season, we believe we could win. Well, you know what? Maybe sometimes you know your second line center is Marc-Andre Klish and you can't win this year. But they don't feel like that.
1: I've said it. A hundred times, and I'll say it once more confidence plays such an important factor, more than it gets credit for. And just to hear these players have this self confidence and, uh, it, right, exactly. Walk the walk, you talk s- the you talk. Speak all that, right? You speak it into existence.
0: Exactly. You speak it into existence, and that's ultimately what it is. And, and all of the most successful people in life do that in whatever walk of life you're in. And an athlete is no different. Yes, McKinnon is a great player and probably a little bit better than player xyz on another team but if player xyz has the confidence to believe that hey i can beat nathan mckinnon then he's gonna freaking beat nathan mckinnon if mckinnon's confidence is not up there to to counteract that and that's just the reality of it especially especially now with what's going on in the world and what is going to be of this hockey tournament this return to play it's so different where you need to have all your ducks in a row and I mentioned that last week. The two teams that everybody is looking at as the two teams that look like they are prepared, ready, and focused are the Colorado Avalanche and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And and this is a national a national nationwide thing. This is a thing that Canadian journalists are noticing, and they're not even in the Pepsi Center watching the practices that I'm watching. And they're able to recognize that because they're on these Zoom calls and they're listening to these players and they feel like the Avalanche are ready to go.
1: That being said, the lines and the combinations this week were very much the same. We did see some reuniting of the top line. And when you see that top line and you see even if it's just in practice, you see the magic they can make together and the way they move that puck and the way they have that almost sedine-like chemistry between them, does that leave you wanting more of that top line? Or, or, or are you happy with the spreading of the wealth?
0: I'm, I'm happy with the fact that you have multiple options now. That's what I'm happy with. Because in the past couple of years, whenever the Avalanche needed to get away from that top line for a, a multiple range of reasons, they would always end up with like a second line. You know, let's shake things up. So your second line is Comfort between Nieto and Rantanen. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. And then you have <laughs> uh, Jost playing with Soderberg and Landeskog. And you're like, what the hell is going on now? These are literally just blender lines at this point. But the ability to have a Burakovsky who you can throw on the top line and bring Landeskog down. Burakovsky, McKinnon, Rantanen sounds like a top line. You bring Landeskog down, you have Landeskog, Kadri, and, and, and Nichushkin, Landeskog, Kadri, and Donskoy. Landeskog, Kadri, and Nemesnikov. And that sounds like a top line on many other teams. So I like the fact that the Avalanche have options. I like the fact that you can have Burakovsky playing there for a majority of the game. But if you get an offensive zone whistle off of an icing, you can throw out McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog and say, "Hey, these guys are tired. Go nuts."
1: I just think you'd ha- you'd like just... to get some fluidity, though. You know, I I don't like the blending of the lines. I'd love to see just the top line be the top line. But it leaves weak. It leaves a little bit of weakness. Not too much, but more weakness in the depth lines than it would if you break them apart.
0: And and make no mistake about it, the uh, the Burakovsky pairing with Ranton and McKinnon is going to be the top line. That's what it seems like it's going to be, and unless something changes tomorrow, the last day of practice before they you know disappear to Edmonton, and I don't get to see them for many many months in person, uh, that's your top line. And I really like it for many reasons. And I know we spoke about that second line last week, but I do need to add that having Landeskog play with Kadri is going to be a lot more valuable to a player like Kadri than having Burakovsky there. Because when Kadri is the one guy on the line who's the physical force and presence, in Toronto he was the only player on the whole damn team who was the physical force and presence, he was going out and getting suspended because he would go overboard and that's not to say that you know Kadri needs to be controlled but when you have somebody on your line like Landeskog who's out there throwing his body around maybe giving you the opportunity to do less of that and use more of your skill and Landeskog same exact thing it's you know it works both ways having these guys both be there on the ice together they can work together to throw their body around uh to an extent and also use their skill to an extent and then you have Nachushkin Chushkin in front of the net clearing the crease for you to have opportunities. And I just think that it's such a perfect pair that in years past, yeah, I don't want Landis Scott playing with Calvert and Soderbergh and Nieto on the top line. Nobody wants that. Who the hell wants that? But now with Burakovsky on this line and with Kadri on the second line, it doesn't seem like you're really spreading the wealth and eliminating the the strength of your top line. Burakovsky's a hell of a player. Kadri's a hell of a player. And that just makes it so much easier to split up that top line, and that's why I have no issue with it personally.
1: To that point of a, of Kadri and his frustration probably in Toronto, I mean, you're going to do dumb things when you're the only guy out there battling as hard as he was. He's going to get frustrated, and he's going to feel alone to where he's going to feel like he has to do more. Maybe it's not the right thought, and that's kind of where he gets you know a, a bit crossing the line. And, but with a guy like Landeskog, Yeah. And with a guy like Landeskog on his side, I don't see him doing those stupid things because he has a partner to come help him out. He has a partner to throw bodies around with him and kind of be that bash brother and not have to be the sole representative for physical hockey because he's not even that big of a guy. It's just he's fiery. He's got a big, big heart. And so, you know, it's got to be just refreshing for him to have somebody beside him to to help him out in that sense.
0: Yeah, so for both of them, they both feel – fortunate to have the other person there with them and for for Kadri's sake i mean that's how his career in toronto ended uh he was sticking up for a teammate in patrick marlowe and i think it was jake Debrusque. he went after him he went after him hard and you know i'm a lot more into the story of the toronto boston rivalry than a lot of other avalanche fans are because i lived in toronto once upon a time i am canadian and i love you know the Maple Leafs and seeing them succeed there it's a part of hockey culture in Canada to to follow the Maple Leafs whether in a hateful way or in a way where you like them and make no mistake about it in 2018 Boston was the better team in 2019 Toronto outplayed Boston but they choked they choked and the reason why they choked is because they couldn't take the pressure they couldn't handle the pressure and a few games into the series I believe it was game two, Kadri got suspended after having the game one of his life. And I remember watching that game one against Boston and seeing how good and how great of a player Kadri was. And I looked at my brother and I said, I would love to have that guy on the Avalanche because that right there is playoff hockey. And I said that the day after the Avalanche got shut out by Calgary in game one. I said, that would have been the difference between the Avalanche beating Calgary yesterday. This guy right here. Fast forward, the Avalanche won that series, took the Sharks to seven. Kadri got suspended. Toronto lost. Fast forward a little bit longer. Kadri's traded for Tyson Berry. He's here now. We have him. He's paired with Landis Landeskog, and it's a match made in heaven.
1: We only got to see a little bit of Kadri, and we only got to see regular season Kadri. Boy, am I so fired up to see what playoff Kadri looks like in an excited. Avalanche sweatshirt. That's going to be sweet.
0: I am so excited for it, It's 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 and he's, he's coming back with a vengeance, man. He's here for redemption, and you better believe Kadri wants to get out of the first round to show the Maple Leafs, to stick it to them, and to the city of Toronto, and to the fans that I love you guys, but you made the wrong move. And getting to the Stanley Cup final and winning that damn cup and taking it, I mean, I don't know if players are going to get a day with a cup, but taking it back to Ontario, taking it back to the London, Brampton, Toronto area where he grew up, And being able to say, look what I have.
1: In your face, right?
0: Exactly. And especially if they face the Bruins in the finals, it would just be poetic for Kadri to
1: win it that way. Yeah, that'd be amazing. But first, before we move on, i got to tell you about DraftKings, guys. Grab your peanuts and popcorn. Baseball is back. Today is opening day, actually. That's right. The boys will be getting back on the diamond this week. And while we may not be able to join them in the stadium, there's plenty of action to be had from the comfort of your home. There's no better place to get in the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate baseball coming back, DraftKings Sportsbook, of course, is offering free bets for every home run your team hits hits take advantage of this Grand Slam offer is easy all you have to do is place a pre-game bet of at least $25 on your home team and for every home run they hit in that game you'll get $5 worth of free bets that's huge for the Rockies who are always hitting home runs at Coors Field additionally DraftKings Sportsbook is offering all new users a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000 don't worry if baseball isn't your game DraftKings offers great odds and promotions on all sports ranging from MMA to basketball and soon to be hockey. Right, Arif. DraftKings Sportsbook is US-based, making it safe, secure and reliable. Plus, it's easy to deposit and withdraw your funds whenever you want. Download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code MHS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's code MHS for Mile High Sports to give to get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Let's go Rockies.
0: Yeah, and uh, you must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply to DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And I'm happy to say for the first time in Ever that Hockey Mountain High, your go to avalanche podcast, loves their DraftKings. And we are so excited for not just baseball, but eventually basketball, hockey, and everything to come back so that we could be the degenerates that we are. And DraftKing is going to be there to support us along the way.
1: Yep, I've already got a bet that I'm eyeing that I'm going to be hammering come next week. I'll tell you guys about that probably on next week's episode when we dive a little bit more into the upcoming tournament and a, a few bets that we're going to make. Why not? Let's play along with the DraftKings while we've got them on board, huh? So, yeah. moving on a little bit, winding down the show. We're in the uh, back nine here. Today... Gary Bettman had a kind of a media call just addressing everything before phase four here and before teams head off to their hub cities, which will be this weekend. And safety, safety, safety was the message from Gary Bettman. I mean, he made it a point to say how often safety was the number one decision maker in everything they did. Just another testament to how good of a job they've done putting this together. They weren't in a race. You know, I I think it's a bit of a bummer that while they were the first ones to get the ball in motion, they're ultimately going to be the last ones to actually start playing. But that's because they wanted to make sure every last detail that they could figure out was figured out. And again, we've we've pumped his tires all quarantine long, I would say. But Gary Bettman, I just love that message that he puts out there that safety is the number one priority in all accounts. And they've made it obvious in the way they've handled things absolutely and i mean they the, the the
0: nhl wants to be on the right side of history and by and by being not the team that rushes to the to the to the finish line but the team that slowly makes sure you get all your ducks in a row on your way to the finish line that they they could possibly be the only team on the right side of history we've said this before there's an opportunity for all these leagues to shut down and the nhl to be the only one to finish i hope that doesn't happen because i love my basketball i want to see the raptors repeat i want to see lebron continue his redemption season i want to see the nfl come back i want to see baseball continue but Gary Bettman like there's not much more we can say he wants to be on the right side of history everything that he talked about today was about safety except for the little hiccup about the media not being allowed in the bubble even though the professional hockey writers association only wanted like one or two guys but I won't bark up that tree we're talking about positivity here and 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 I'm fully on board with that the NHL is doing all they can to make sure that this stays as safe as possible
1: I'm actually going to make you bark up that tree. That was the next topic I had planned in this okay. little part of the conversation really? is the media access and how necessary it actually is. Of course, they've got the plan where each team's bringing a social media representative, but how do you feel about just that, you know, I mentioned earlier how it's just been different having to interview over Zoom. What's your take? You're the more journalistic minded person than me what do you feel it, it would be the right action to take here or are you on board with what the NHL's done in terms of media access
0: so it took a lot of years for me to realize the difference between nhl run media and team run media and and independent journalists like you know like myself like ryan clark mike chambers and all these guys um and it takes a lot for fans to understand it because what i don't want this to be and i wasn't going to go anyway um But what I don't want this to be is, is I don't want it to sound like media and journalists are complaining that they're not invited to this party because that's not what it is. So what we have this season is a historical time in NHL history. This is going to be remembered forever. We are going to be, hopefully we grow old and we're gonna be 60, 70, 80 years old, talking to our grandkids about the year that the year was stopped halfway through the season, for four months, and then it came back. They jumbled all the players into this big orgy in Canada and said, "Go finish your season." <laughs> and I mean, I, and and it's it's really a captivating and 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 historical moment in NHL history. And to have only NHL.com writers there, which is a team run or league run, state run media, is not going to provide the same outlook that you would get from an independent journalist. And. Those independent journalists like Greg Wasinski, like Elliot Friedman, those those big names that could be there, that could go out and write stories about these events. It's not about going out there and you know, uh, ratting out uh, Connor McDavid for exiting the bubble to go get some taco bell or whatever the hell it may be it's about writing stories about the conditions there i, I know we all remember the sochi olympics those pictures started to unravel and are started to unfold on social media of the very small twin size beds remember those and we all made this joke of oh zidano char is going to sleep on one of these haha <laughs> he needs three that wasn't the ioc that wasn't the olympic committee that was an independent journalist giving you an inside look. And that's a bit of a negative look, but there's also positive stories. When you work for the NHL, you cannot write the same type of stories as an independent journalist. And I think the fact that they're not just saying we don't have space for media, but they're saying we only have space for three guys and it's guys that work for us. So now we can go out and and only release the type of news that we want to release because it's state run media rubs me the wrong way especially when you consider the fact that the national basketball association you know that league that churns out a whole bunch of money every single year because they know how to market their stars their league and they're very progressive well yeah the nba is allowing 17 freaking nba reporters into the bubble and that's a lot of bodies and i understand that but if the nhl wanted to let in the top five national reporters they would have found a way to make it work. They would have found a way to get them tested. They would have invested into the media that gives their sport so much, but they did not, and that's the problem that I have with this.
1: That's a pretty good take, and you kind of brought me to the other side of the fence on it. When I first asked that question, I was more of the thought, oh, who cares? You know, Players aren't going to give them much anyway. I mean, I've been there. I've talked to players after games, and you get the same answers all the time and you have to somehow make a story out of it especially out of a, after a loss you know you get very short very brief very non unique answers and you're like well shoot how do i make this work into a story but i like the i like that point that you're making you know there's there's more to be i i like i mentioned to you before we started recording there's less access for the fans now more than ever and the media's job is bigger than ever to create that bridge between them and The fact that they're just kind of stiff-arming that and having only the positive vibes of state-run media um, being in in control and at the helm, just again, yeah, it's a a bad look. It's kind of authoritarian. It just sucks.
0: Yeah, that is the right word. And it just sucks because this year more than ever, this is a year where you want those stories to be ingrained in in history, in world history, in hockey history forever. And we're not going to have those. We are not in 20, 30 years going to have stories from reporters that I respect so heavily, so highly, like a Greg Washinsky talking about, or, or Mike Russo at The Athletic, or whoever it may be talking about inside feed stories. Those guys that write stories where you're like, holy crap, where did you even think about this idea, this narrative that you just provided mm-hmm. for me? We are not going to have that. And that is such a damn shame because no NHL season will ever be like this one ever in the history of this league. Hopefully, knock on wood, because we don't want to go through this again. And it just sucks that we're not going to have those stories, in my opinion.
1: Well, some things that they are doing, you know, it was kind of unveiled this week a little bit more about the in-game experience and kind of the broadcast plans that they have. And I think I did like the idea of the, the just the fact that they're going to have more cameras out there. They're going to have better camera lines. They're going to have more just because there's not going to be fans in the way. And they're going to really cater to that at home tv watching guys so while there might not be as much access in the locker rooms and post games and everything like that i think what we're going to see during play and in game is really going to be fantastic and something we've never seen before and are probably going to crave once it's gone
0: yeah so steve uh steve Mayer, the nhl chief content officer He was on that call today as well, and uh, I had to miss that call because I had other uh, commitments this morning and appointments, but I did jump on and watch the call afterward, and Steve Mayer talked about all of the cool things that they're going to be doing. So number one, from a spectacle standpoint they're going to be implementing all these different screens inside the arena i'm not sure if you're much of a wrestling guy but kind of like what wwe has been doing in orlando where they sort of turn the fans into like this cool background and they're able to put all these cool graphics and things and make it look cool surrounding that the, the 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 wrestling rink and for the nhl the ice rink and i think that's really awesome that they're doing that because it's going to make it a lot easier to look at on screen as compared to looking at empty stadiums and cardboard cutouts of fans and things like that that other leagues are getting.
1: And it's it's not just that. I mean, I, I'm excited to see what it looks like. It, it seems a little bit gimmicky in my opinion. I mean, uh, of course, I always have to take that because players aren't going to give a shit what's in there in the ring, you know, or, or surrounding the rink, I mean. Uh, You you got me distracted with that wrestling comment. And, yes, I used to watch wrestling. haven't watched it in a long time. But I get what you're saying. It's going to be really cool from a a TV standpoint. Um, I hope they don't go overboard with it. You'd hate to see too many lights and flashing in in the player's eyes while they're trying to skate. And it's just a giant picture of himself, right? So I I hope they don't go too overboard with it. But I really like where it's gone so far. I like that uh, first rendition of what a game is supposed to look like. So. I'm excited for that. A lot of other things that were mentioned that they're going to start doing. Um, A a big one for us, I know, for kind of what we stand for at this podcast is the social issues part of it. And they're going to kind of take a second to give an ode to everything that's going on from pandemic workers to Black Lives Matter to, um, you know, just everything that requires attention socially right now. And they're going to do that with some different clothing. You know, they're going to have We Skate for blank and you know equality is one of those or nurses is going to be one of those and they're going to have that free reigns on, and they're going to put them on decals and and clothing so that's going to be another fun little aspect to see from the players especially since we've heard all week long and I don't know why this is such a huge topic but that the players get to wear whatever they want to the rink so many people have been talking about it I love it
0: I love it I I wrote a story on it I asked Nazem Kadri about it and I know how Nazem Kadri is he He loves his bougie attire. He loves to look flashy. He loves to look good. And he comes from a hockey team that had Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and all these guys that like to do the flashy things with their attire. And I asked him about it, and he absolutely loves it. It's a very progressive, forward-thinking change that the NHL is making. And it's it's only for this year so far because, you know, you're telling players to play hockey in, in July and August and September we're going to dress up how we want to. It's going to be a little humid outside, but hopefully this leads to future changes where the NHL can stick with that. And aside from me liking it for those reasons, it also opens the opportunity for these players to go out and and, and support Black Lives Matter, to go out and support the Hockey Diversity Alliance and to wear things that support those movements. And I think that's going to be great for them. It's going to be great to see these players wearing that. This is where... To go back to what we were talking about, you need some friggin' journalists in there because if Morgan Riley, for example, wears his Black Lives Matter sweater and maybe wears a sweater that says, I can't breathe. And I'm just saying Morgan Riley as an example. Any player, maybe wears a sweater that says, I can't breathe. Is the NHL going to cover that? Hmm. Is an NHL.com writer going to write about a story around a sweater that says, I can't breathe? Yeah, that- I don't know the answer to it. But if it's no, that's certainly sure as hell is something that a Greg Wyshynski would write about.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Absolutely. And, you know, I think I guess I'm a little on board with the attire being however they want to to do it just because these are different times. I think probably that rule was implemented maybe 10, 15 years ago where it was more trendy to dress like you're from the streets and, and, you know, a lot baggier. And now it's it's a lot trendier to dress classy and make it make yourself look good. And, and you know, I think that's what a lot yeah. of NHL players are about. You could tell just by the way they wear their suits. So when they get a little bit of creativity to kind of bring out their, their Louis Vuitton or their Burberry and Gucci, I think they're, they're going to be able to look real good and be able to just show a little bit of personality, right?
0: Yeah, and i mean even right now they leave training camp every day and i watch them you know exit and go out to their cars and go out to the parking lot and leave and they come out in their flip-flops and bowling shorts and v-necks and and these these muscle shirts and even dressing like that they look classy mm-hmm. so it's gonna be a different look and i mean all the power to them man we're in denver and it's 95 degrees. And I don't expect them to leave wearing a full suit. Um, when they used to wear those full suits from the, for the bus ride and then get off the bus and enter the arena, you know, for a road game and for a home game, get out of your vehicle and exit and enter the arena, there was like twenty or thirty people that saw you in those suits. It was a bunch of Pepsi Center workers, maybe the social media girl, and then you go to the locker room, you pass by a couple ushers. Those little amounts of people that saw you in those suits, even those people have been washed away because of social distancing. So literally nobody's gonna see you in these. It is the perfect time to wear your own clothing, to express your own personality and bring out your style. And at the same time, if you wanna be able to support a social issue, you can go ahead and do that and know that this is something that can go viral if state-run media allows it to.
1: Yeah, I expect to see a lot of the uh, Change Hockey Culture hoodies that were sold by For the sure. Hockey Diversity yep. Alliance. I finally got mine. It's a great hoodie, fits great, and, and just looks awesome. Um, another thing that was implemented, and I know how we feel about this already, but they finally decided how they're going to figure it out, and that's the cussing problem. How are they going to figure out how to block these players, dirty mouth sailor, players from cussing on national tv and that's going to be that they're going to do the five second delay which i think is complete horse bleep
0: yeah i mean this was an opportunity for the nhl to at least offer an alternate feed where you can you know not suitable for children you know if you have seven eight nine year old kids at home that would just want to watch their pittsburgh penguins go for another cup you can play the five second delay feed for them but for people like Yeah,
1: they did it with Michael Jordan. You know, with the Last yeah. Dance, they had two different versions. They had a TVMA version and a TV14 version. Why can't you do? It? Why can't you do that
0: here? And again, this is the progressive, forward-thinking part of, that the NHL is lacking, and Gary Bettman and his team are lacking. For all the good things they've done, they still don't think about these little things that could mean so much in growing the game. We saw what somebody. I, I'm sure you've seen the account, the Tony X the guy that discovered hockey five years ago, um, he watched a Blues versus Blackhawks game seven, and he's from St. Louis, and he's he's one of the biggest hockey fans you'll meet now. And he watched a game four years ago in the playoffs and said, you guys have been hiding this from us? This game is lit. And he just was <laughs> all in on this sport. He Sarah worded it a little bit differently, but he was all in on this sport. And I think if you provide... NHL players have some of the best one-liners you will ever meet in sports. They have the best chirps you will ever meet in sports. If you provide an access to that, aside from the HBO Winter Classic thing they did for a few years, if you provide the access to that to the general public, they're like, holy crap, this sport is awesome and it's it's those forward thinking progressive things that are just such small details but could mean so much to the growth of the sport.
1: I mean that's why spit and chiclets is as popular as it is. It's not exactly. rewriting the the wheel. It's nothing amazing. It's these players allowed to be themselves and allowed to act like themselves and it's hilarious and people are just drawn to it. Why not let and the they... players that are actively playing, you know, draw that kind of publicity and attention as well?
0: And that's exactly what it is. I mean, even with spit and tricklets, it's it's. There's two players on the you know that are hosting it, and and Ryan Whitney and uh, Paul Bissonnette, and they're both hilarious. Like they have that hockey player uh, demeanor and and humor to them, and then they bring on a bunch of former NHL players that have the same thing, and it's no holds barred. They can say whatever they'd like and things like that, and. Some current players jump on but a lot of current players and they say this openly that they have current players that say oh you know what we're not gonna do this until maybe after we retire or whatever it may be and um, that's simply because they don't want to be able to you know they don't want to say too much or catch themselves saying too much at a time when they shouldn't be. and that's what makes that podcast so cool, and that's you're spot on one hundred percent with that. And and it's just it's a missed opportunity for the NHL. But at the same time, if this is the one thing that we have to complain about for this season to, to to be completed, I don't mind.
1: I really don't. You know I'm not done complaining. Almost as lame as the no cussing is the fake crowd noise that they decided to put in there. Of course, all sports are doing it. I think it's so dumb. But um, a cool thing that the NHL is kind of doing is getting the unique sound from each team so for example um you know when grubauer makes a good save hopefully they have the sound bite of the crowd saying grew that they and if they don't
0: there. and if they don't they can play the one where minnesota says doob for dubnik or the one <laughs> where they used to say lou for luongo and all the other ones that all sound the friggin same now for the goalie thing um not to be a debbie downer on that but yeah i mean that's definitely something that's going to be interesting. I don't want to complain just yet because I'm I'm more intrigued that I'm you know if I hear it for the first five seconds of the first period and think it's lame and be like this is stupid turn it off. Um, but I'm I'm more intrigued with that. I'm also very intrigued about the multiple camera angles that they're going to act have now. There is going to be over twenty different extra angles in each of the two arenas at Scotiabank uh, Place and at Rogers Arena, or Scotiabank Arena and Rogers. man! Scotiabank and Rogers are every arena in Canada now. The one in Edmonton and the one in Toronto. Um, It used to be so much easier when it was Rexall Place in Air Canada Centre. That's the Canadian side of me. But anyway, um, there's going to be over 20 extra cameras in each rink. And the reason why that is is because without fans, you're able to place cameras in spots that otherwise would be... Uh, filled by fans and butts and button seats and I think it's just going to provide an extra unique remember all those different camera angles you can have in EA Sports where there's one where you can like shoot in on the side of like McKinnon's hips as he's skating and it looks so fast and stuff like you're going to get that in real life now probably. There's going to be all these cool things that are going to make the game so much cooler. And Steve Mayers, you know, along with all the things that you talked about earlier, this is going to be one of those things where it's just going to look so exciting. Even without the fans, I think the NHL is going to do all they can to, to not make it just look like a boring game and an empty ice rink.
1: Yeah, kind of like I mentioned when I brought that up at the top of this segment, I think it's going to leave us wanting more of it once it's all said yeah. and done. And yep. we're going to be almost preferring that that way and say hey maybe we could watch games without fans for the rest of all eternity who knows um but uh that's about all i wanted to get to uh, i guess last it's, point it's, it's
0: just an hour and six minutes that's all we want to get into We're nothing going crazy
1: long. we haven't even begun our our, our wrap-up of the show here but um you know thinking of the Gru chant and everything like that and how you kind of mentioned that they're all getting the same around the league and they're all getting progressively weaker um it just reminds me of how awesome it used to be back in the day my personal favorite one and i know it was from college but i remember the Avs fans when they were brand new they would they would do this and it'd be like for example san jose is back at full strength and what does the crowd say and they still suck those are the kind of things that we need to get back to not just the you know what they you know what they do in columbus
0: you know what they do in columbus And I discovered this the first time I went out for an Avalanche Blue Jackets game. We're talking 2011. The Jackets had been to the playoffs once and had been swept. Uh, they played in the same division as the Red Wings. It was a weird time. It was before the Blue Jackets are what we know them as now as a team that can be a contender eventually. Um, the guy would say, "What was it? Oh, it was the last minute of play." He would say, "Last minute of play in the second period," and the entire crowd, all twenty five of them at that time, because they <laughs> sucked, would get up and say, "And Detroit still sucks." And me and my brother are sitting in the crowd, driv- driving from Detroit to support the Avalanche and a Blue Jackets Avalanche game. We're like, "What the hell was that?" And I sort of like started to check Twitter to see if this was a thing, and I started texting all my buddies and my buddies, big Red Wing fans in the heart of the De- the, the, the the Datsuk and Zetterberg era, are like. Columbus thinks we care about them. Like they are so in the rear view. It was just a funny, I don't know what it was, but it was. And it may be the fact that Columbus has made the playoffs once and they got swept by the Red Wings in four games at that point. But that was hilarious to me. You just reminded me of that.
1: Bottom line, we need more vulgarity, whether it's the crowd, the fans, the broadcasters. Just need more European soccer chance. That's what we need. There you go. I've been saying that for years time to get to the wrap up and wind this baby down with the social media moment of the week this week we are giving it to another new avalanche summer baby and that's ian cole who had his baby just in the nick of time another week and he might have completely missed the birth of his daughter
0: crazy to think how close it was to that cutoff because it's not even just another week it's in forty-eight hours they will be in Edmonton. And and this picture was posted yesterday. So it you know, his kid was born within 72 hours of a flight to Edmonton where he's gonna be gone for hopefully a very long time because the Avalanche will be on a deep run. We've said it before, man. It's it's hilarious how things are working out this summer. It's very unfortunate and fortunate at the same time because all of these players plan when they want to have kids they plan for summer babies they plan for july and august babies because they know this is their time off and it's it's really putting a lot of stress on their families to know that they may not be there and if they are there they may have to leave soon and there's this thing called covid and these women might have to go into labor without their husbands there and it just becomes this entire new side to the equation of this return to play plan that We as fans and media don't think about, but the players do, and that's why they were negotiating for many months before this plan was put together. Because you know that someone like Ian Cole was thinking, "Holy crap! Like, what if my wife goes into labor July twenty eighth, and I'm in Edmonton, and I can't come back for a month? I can't come back. You you don't get to see your newborn kid for two months for a month. Like, it's it's hard to think about these things, and uh, you know." To get away from the negatives and to go to the positives, congratulations, Ian Cole, uh, beautiful baby, uh, beautiful family, uh, beautiful legs in that picture that they posted. He was <laughs> showing off those trunk tree trunk thighs that I wish I had that I once had and then I started running and I lost it all and it's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, congratulations to Ian Cole and he definitely deserves a star for that or a yeah. social media moment for that.
1: Yeah, we're, we're seeing all these summer babies that we've heard so much of that this is when NHL players plan to have babies. I'm 32. I don't have a baby. I'm no doctor. I didn't realize it was so easy to plan when you want a baby. I thought they just happen, and, and usually by accident.
0: And this is why you and I talk about hockey for a living. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Time to get to the Mile High Sports Three Stars of the Week presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Star number three, we're giving it to the Avs in-game team or the PR team, whoever was responsible for putting together the video that showed during practice of all the fans kind of cheering on the avalanche, giving them encouraging, encouragement, and of course the players loved it.
0: It was really cool. Uh, As a media member sitting in the crowd, it sort of like sent a shiver down my spine. I started to tear up a little bit watching it. And it wasn't because like, oh my God, the Avalanche and they're gonna go on this cup run. It was because after these four and five months of everything we've gone through, it was just so friggin' cool to see this video put together. Um, And the players loved it. It wasn't one of those, you know, bull crap thing where they just watch and then, you know, tap their sticks. It was something where they were taking off their helmets, and I don't know why Grubauer really stuck out to me because he had, you know, like a goalie does with goalie swag, which you don't have. One knee down, one knee up, <laughs> sitting on the ice, and he had his helmet in his hand. And as he was watching it, his head kind of tilted to the side. And it was one of those things where he was like watching it, kind of like this is hitting, like hitting the spot. And it's I'm in, I'm sucked and drawn into this moment. And he just like his head tilted to the side, and he was just appreciating this massive jumbotron video of people saying we're we're ready to cheer you on, and just talking about it right now. It's sending shivers down my spines, and it's down my spine. And I'm I'm so excited to see this playoff thing happen um and the moment that in that moment i started to think of and i'm going to go a little off topic for really quickly i know our podcast is long enough already but in that moment i started to think about the first time that the pepsi center can have fans again and there's 18,000 people there there isn't going to be a dry eye in that arena the first time that alan roach could say welcome back The first time that the Pepsi Center could put together this video, this same Avalanche team that's earning third star, could put together this video talking about how we've missed you so much. Thank you for being there all along. Thank you for fighting through this virus with us. And seeing the crowd erupt, there will not be a dry eye in that arena. I'm excited for that moment, and this was just a small glimpse of that, and the players really, truly did appreciate it. They are, after all, still human, and their emotions were getting the best of them. It was very obvious, and I loved it.
1: Yeah, it's good to remind the players that it's not just about the boys in the room, it's not just about the coaches in the room, it's about representing an entire fan base, an entire city, and think about how many, I know we have a ton of listeners that don't even live in Colorado, it's more than just a city, it's the Colorado Avalanche family, not just the team that you're on, all the people that surround it and support you as well. So. Hats off to the to the PR team or the in-game team, whoever was in charge of that. I loved it. Star number two, and that's going to all the NHL referees that are going to be refereeing in this COVID Cup. They have checked into the Hub Cities, they are ready to go, and they've all tested negative. I think that's pretty impressive. Shows the level of commitment from the referees, even though you know they're kind of looked down upon at times, and sometimes even verbally abused by some of these players and coaches. So to see that they're as ready to go as some of the players and teams just throws another level of excitement and just hoping that the refereeing is top-notch like we've kind of discussed in podcasts of past.
0: So the NHL basically contacted their referees a few months ago as this plan was being put together. And the refs were told that you are going to come back and cover and and, and ref a Stanley Cup playoff and eventually a Stanley Cup final. Oh, and by the way, there's going to be zero fans in the stands. What do you think the refs are going to do? Hell yeah, they're excited, dude. There isn't any more booze coming at them. Nobody ever cheers a ref. (laughs) There's 18,000 people screaming at them. So you're telling me that we get to do our job without the part of our job that, that, that feels really, really overwhelming and puts a lot of pressure on us? Sign me up. I'm there. I'm just making a joke out of this whole thing. It's awesome that they're there. It's awesome that they're ready. And, and it's, it's just adding to that intrigue and excitement. And we're getting so very close to talking about hockey.
1: Let's not forget about that time. I think it was in Toronto when a whole section of referees <laughs> showed up to the game and just started and they were cheering doing, everything. And they the were doing referee. all the
0: movements too. They were doing the <laughs> waving off the offsides and the and the tagging up and they were doing the icings and the whistles. It was hilarious, man. I love Canadian yeah. fans.
1: Referees, very underappreciated part of the game for sure. Yep. And that brings us to star number one. I'm sure you could have guessed what it is considering Release. we haven't brought it up yet this entire podcast, and this is the biggest news to rock the NHL world, if not the sports world, just happening yesterday. That's the city of Seattle getting the name, Release the, Kraken, the Kraken, official. Love it. Uh, instead of just touching on it, I want to dive a little deeper and just kind of dig into your thoughts on the Kraken before we get out of here, and I just want you to quickly grade everything that came out yesterday. Are, are you ready for this? Let's hear it. All right. I want you to first start by grading the name, Seattle Kraken. A. A. The colors. A+. The logo. A-. The jerseys. B+. And finally, how good do you think they're going to be? I mean, there's been a lot of talk. Are they going to run things like Las Vegas? Or are teams going to learn how to protect themselves after learning the, the... the hard way against the Vegas Golden Knights what do you anticipate for this team skill wise the teams
0: between 2017 and March 2020 learned to not make the same mistakes they made in Vegas and those are the mistakes that led to you know Florida giving up multiple guys and and uh, Minnesota giving up multiple guys and all those wrong moves that they made Pittsburgh actually gave Vegas a draft pick to take flurry believe it or not. And now is the face of that franchise. So teams between 2017 and March of this year learned to not make those same mistakes. And then a pandemic happened. The salary cap stayed flat. A lot of teams have to get rid of players. And because of that, Seattle's going to capitalize. They're going to get a lot of good guys because players just don't have the money to keep everybody that they wanted to keep. And Seattle's going to be a damn good team. Thankfully, they're in the Pacific Division. Arizona's going to jump into the uh, Central Division where the Avalanche play. Um... But I think they're going to be a good team. I don't know if they're going to pull a Vegas and make the finals in the first year. That was something that we probably will never see again. But they're going to be a damn good team. And just think of who they're going to acquire, man. On the avalanche, they may get to grab one of Grubauer Fransu's. They may get to grab a Yanis Donskoy, a Valerie Nichushkin, an Ian Cole, a Dorov, a Graves. Who knows? They're going to get a good player.
1: And I think unlike when it all happened with the Vegas Golden Knights, players were unsure of that time around They didn't want to go to Vegas Because they were afraid It was just going to be Such a terrible team I think now players Are going to be kind of They they've saw what happened With Vegas yeah. And they might be excited To go to Seattle Fresh start Get it's, out. A hell, it's a hell
0: of a place to live The Pacific Northwest Is a beautiful place mm-hmm. There's a lot of rain And, and greenery out there And uh, the idea of living in Vegas Might sound weird To a lot of people But Seattle That's a hell of a place to live Yeah let's go out there And make a lot of money And, and
1: really make a name For ourselves on this new team I'm down absolutely and that wraps up our extremely long episode of hockey mountain high, hockey mountain high your forgot go-to
0: it. damn it avalanche podcast i forgot it. uh i thought you were setting me up for ah. it it sounded like you were but that's a new name and i and i i i'm gonna give you a pass because you've been doing this for so many years with one name and i've been here for 20-ish episodes and i already made you change the name and learn a new name um But yeah, like you said, this was a long episode, and and it was a hell of an episode, and I'm so excited to see where this podcast is going to go. I just want to ask from all of our listeners, subscribe, leave some comments. Uh, Reach out to us on Twitter. Tell your friends. We want to be your go-to Avalanche podcast, and I cannot stress that enough. As as an Avalanche fan that grew up in Detroit and always wanted a podcast specific to this team, there wasn't really ever any options out there that were consistent like other teams had, and that always made me sad that we don't get that inside look. I want to be able to provide that inside look for the fans because I, in the end— am a fan and i was someone that in your shoes would love to have a podcast that could be as big and as great as this hockey mountain high your go-to avalanche podcast subscribe Comment. Let us know what you think. Comment on the new logo. Comment on the new name. Let me know it sounds stupid if that's what you think. JJ and I are going to be here to do this, and we're going to we're going to start churning out these episodes for you multiple times a week and giving you something truly that's 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 great content to listen to. We'll start throwing some guests on here so you don't have to hear us blabber for an hour and twenty minutes next time. Um, But I'm excited to see where this goes, and I hope you guys are on board because uh, it's no turning back now, man. We are committed. Mile High Sports is committed. We are all in on this, and one way or another, we are going to be your go-to avalanche podcast.
1: Yeah, we got big plans coming, not just podcast-wise, too. So stay tuned to us, and uh, just keep a lookout for for big things to come. Um, I'm really excited about them. Like I said, I'm Excited to have Arif there to kind of share my vision with me. Um, so, yeah, that being said, thanks for in, hanging out with us on the first episode of Hockey Mountain High, nailed at that time. Um, Avalanche Talk, you know, it wasn't ever something that was near and dear to my heart. It was just kind of passed on to me, so I'm happy with the name change. i really exci- excited about the logo and just to start building the brand here with you, Arif. Let's get it going. And, yeah, other than that, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. We'll be back next week to spit out another one and preview the COVID Cup that's coming our way. Don't forget to download Sports DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Other than that, for Arif, I'm JJ. Hockey's for everyone, and we out you.